Welcome back to the brand new American Reformation podcast with Tim Allman and Eric Fish. We long to see the wider American Christian church fall more in love with Jesus by learning from the practices of the early church and other eras of discipleship multiplication. Today we're talking about the importance of having difficult conversations and the fruits that come when we have them in a Christ-like way. In humility, we can partake in the reformation God wants to bring through difficult conversation with those around us. Let's dive in. Welcome to the American Reformation Podcast, Episode 6. Tim Allman here, Eric Fish, and our... Yeah, baby. And our producer, Adam Lamb, is going to be joining the conversation today as well. If you missed last week, what was wrong with you? You got to keep up with this podcast because uh, Dr. Trey Cox took us to the fourth dimension and beyond. It was a mind-blowing experience. So <laughs> some, some takeaways uh, about... Uh, Trey's conversation, spirituality, our understanding of, of faith and Jesus and his presence. Eric, oh my goodness. I can't, I can't, I can't wait to go back and listen to it again. I love Trey Cox. Uh, man, the, the, the conversation at the end, getting into uh, just scripture and like, you know, God coming, coming out of higher dimensions to reveal himself in three dimension, dimensional reality as Christ, but yet being connected with, you know, the other dimensions being fully God and fully human. I mean, and, and then when we were talking about the origin story and like, sometimes, you know, people say, well, I, I, I take the Bible literally. And I'm like, well, a lot of the Bible isn't written literally. And what if God at times is communicating in story form, things that are 100% true that can be understood by every culture in the world, like the origin story, but perhaps our reading of it literally actually misses the deeper truth and meaning of it. So that was just mind blowing. And it's making me want to just go through the entire Bible again and uh, look at it with uh, fresh eyes. So yes, go back and listen to the last episode. It's worth your time. The Bible is a living word meant to be experienced and brought into this context and science uh, th- we listen to the science and there is a God who is over all of the science who uh, fashioned us and has given us access to deeper reality through his word, namely through uh, his word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. So today we're going to be talking about difficult conversations and you could think about um, your family, your marriage, this is going to have an impact on your um, church life. This could have an impact on you having a posture of openness and humility and disagreeing agreeably with someone who has a different worldview than you do, comes from a different religious tradition, a Baptist arguing about communion with a Lutheran. This is going to speak to all of those, all of those scenarios. And here's um, so a little shout out to a classic book called Difficult Conversations, written by Stone, Patton, and Heen. Those are the author's last names. The first edition came out in 1999. I was was a senior in high school, Eric, when this this book came out. They are Harvard professors, psychologists, and help us give a framework around what actually is going on when you are 
at odds, when you feel your body start to tense up, your heart rate go, your your face become red, uh, you having those fight, flight, or freeze responses in the midst of conflict, what actually is going on? And they give us a wonderful handle. There are three conversations that are taking place in any one conversation. If you got notes and you want to take notes, because this is going to be the handle for all of our all of our chats today. There's three conversations taking place. First, it's the what happened conversation. The facts. Just give me the facts, ma'am. Now, your perception of the facts may be different than my perception of the facts, uh, but still, there's something that happened. The second conversation that goes below the surface is the feeling conversation. How did this thing, this conversation, um, this offense make me feel happy, sad, worried, glad. Okay. So the feelings. And then the third, really the deep, the deepest part of the conversation is the identity conversation. Um, you are saying I'm a bad person. It's not just that I did something that is bad. My identity, I'm no longer a child of God. Um, let's use an example of a wife talking, and this is just hypothetical. This is just hypothetical. Uh, Talking to her husband about his uh, lack of putting the clothes in the hamper at the end of the day. Okay, something super light. That is the what happened. He doesn't put the clothes there. He feels like, well, she's put the clothes there over time, so we've just kind of established this habit. She feels super disrespected. He's a little bit more neutral toward it, but then she is drawing some identity conversation. It's not just that you are doing this. Your core identity, you are a towel dropper. I married a towel dropper. That is your, that is your core identity. So those are the three, the three conversations that are taking place in any difficult difficult conversation, uh, the what happened, the feeling and the identity conversation. Wow. Now I would, I'll, I'll make, I'll make a general, uh, gender based statement. Now, ladies and guys, this is just a very general high level. Most of the time men live at the, what happened level. We look at the facts we are much more linear. We are less comfortable with feelings. Um, ladies, on the other hand, live at uh, a more base feeling level. Um, the quicker, a little note, guys, the quicker you get to the feelings, the quicker you address how you made her feel, um, the better. And then we all, at the end of the day, struggle with my core identity. Who am I? At, at my base. So Adam, love to get your, your feedback. Um, what's kind of resonating as you think about or any stories or anything like that, that resonate? Uh, there are three conversations in one. Man. Well, yeah, first of all, uh, it's an honor to be on here. I've been, been listening to all the, the podcasts as I'm sure, uh, many listeners have soaking it all in. So thanks for having me guys. Um, yeah, dude. excited. But yeah, I think uh, I think that's really fascinating. The the three categories, and honestly, what stuck out the most to me as I reflect on my own experience and and um, and honestly, just really the past two three years of of life in this world uh, is that I think we go from uh, in terms of of difficult conversations, we go from uh, zero to sixty, if you will, or straight to the identity part yeah. more often than not. 
when it comes mm. to difficult conversations. And what I feel like Christ is trying to show us through difficult conversations is the fact that there are actually key opportunities for us to witness to others just based on how we interact in difficult conversations. And so as far as like stories go, um, I'm, I'm more thinking, I'm thinking pretty general here, but, but just as far as the polarization that we've all experienced in the past couple of years, especially in, in the United States, um, one encouragement that I have to lean into difficult conversations. And I'll say I'm, my self-evaluation of myself is that I, that I don't lean into difficult conversations well at all. And that's something that I'm, I'm continually um, asking the Lord to, to allow me to do better. But um, I think the more that we do lean into those difficult conversations, the more we can actually experience the power of Christ in uh, how we interact with one another and just by how we how we speak or how we carry ourselves, our posture. And, and I like what you're, what you're saying there, of, um, you know, when your face gets red or when you're, when you get amped up, you know, by the spirit's power, are you, are you able to pull it back and lean in to get to, to the deeper uh, meaning, if you will. So um, yeah, that's, that's what's resonating with me as you get talking here, but I'm sure there's, there's a lot to uncover that, that, uh, mm-hmm. that I'm ready to soak in. So I love it, dude. Any responses there, Eric? Well, Eric may not be with us right now. If you don't know, we film these on Riverside FM, and it is dependent upon the World Wide Web, the internet signals uh, that are sent. (laughs) So we're going to continue talking here, uh, Adam, as Eric gets back on with us. So here's here's the um, biggest struggle is that we don't spend enough time, I'll say this, in the church talking about feelings. In the church, we spend a lot of time with head knowledge, uh, but not enough time in the feeling conversation. So in the evangelism conversation, I feel insecure because I don't have, I think a lot of folks, I don't have enough, I feel like I don't have enough knowledge to answer a wide variety of questions that people may have about, about the faith. Mm. Um, and, and the awesome thing about the feeling conversation, this is where women and men, this is where the real action is. And so put on your curious hat. There is a discrepancy, discrepancy a lot of times between what is said and what is, what is not said. So I'll give you I'll give you a handle. If your gut tells you I've made a statement and you can see it in the other person's face that they maybe didn't receive that statement very well, you can lean into you can lean into that struggle and say and take a guess. You are not telling them how they feel. You are guessing how they feel. I just sense here's mm. a way. I just sense that when I said that, it made you feel insecure or less than, and I want to let you know that was not, that was not my intention. Mm. That was not my intention. So one of the biggest handles too is differentiating intent and impact. Have you ever heard this, Adam? I have, uh, out of your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So 
I, I've, <clears throat> this is gold leaders. As you're listening or entering into a difficult conversation, you, you can use a handle like this. When I said that, whatever it was, um, my intention was um, to honor you or to lovingly challenge you. But I recognize the impact upon you was then take the guess that you felt disrespected, not, not honored. Is, is that right? And a lot of times you've got to keep your head. Yeah, I'm thinking of Anchorman. You got to keep your head in a swivel when you're a part of a vicious cockfight, because that's what a lot of times, <laughs> that's what a lot of times a difficult conversation is, is you've got to be able, you've got to be able to think and curiosity moves us to use our prefrontal cortex. There's a lot of brain science we're going to be talking about here into the future. Um, so the peace of Jesus in the midst of the chaos moves us to curiosity rather than rather than condemnation, to move into the feeling conversation. Good to have you back, Eric. Any any observations uh, to from the what happened to the yeah, feeling? Yeah, well, this is level. something I've been working on in, in the last couple of years in my life journey with Jesus uh, wanting to have healthier relationships, mm. handle conflict in a more mature way is um, realizing that if your uh, heart rate moves uh, beyond 20 beats per minute higher than your resting heart rate, your brain does not function at a level that is able to um, uh, create safety uh, in a conversation around conflict. And so a practical thing that I I've been... Um, Getting better at is when I get ticked off or I'm engaging in a heated discussion and all of a sudden I'm talking faster, the other person's talking faster, interrupting starts happening. What's, hap what's going on physiologically and neurologically is, cha is changes are happening that make it impossible to come to a peaceful uh, loving resolution or very, very difficult. So I'm learning practically to go, okay, hold on. I'm starting to get to feel heated up here. I care about our relationship. I'm going to take a short break and then we and then I want to re-engage about this. Um, so yeah, I this whole thing about the conversation in your head, uh, becoming aware of how your body is reacting to stress and conflict, and then learning to engage from a place of curiosity is huge and easier said than done. It takes practice. Mm. Wow. As you're, as you're talking about this, I have this desire to, uh, I'm going to look at my watch the next time and look, okay. My resting is 62. Normally 62, mm -hmm. 64 beats per minute. I'm at, you know, 95 to, to one Oh five. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here. I, I'm going to let you know, I, I got to take, I got to take a break. This happens in meetings. Like all the time. Now, in in difficult conversations, or to move no, a no. minute, it well, happened in a meeting I was with with in with you a few weeks ago. Like with me, like with you me. know, we're talking about yeah, a, a disagreement, okay. conflict. It wasn't between you and me; it was between me and another guy. And I'm yeah. like, I said something, right. and I believe I was I believe I was right, <laughs> but how I said okay. it was yeah. wrong. <laughs> and looking back, and yeah. I probably need to go back to to this guy because I was like, you know, I left the meeting and I was like, you know, <laughs> I believe and stand by what I said, but the way I said it and the tone had what it, it was, the words were weaponized and, um, yeah. So 
lots of lots of room for learning here. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> lot lots. Of, and here's here's what a leader does. Um, a leader comes up to this relational line. You can only move an organization as fast mm. as the speed of trust and care for one another. So do you trust me well enough for me to come up to a line to say things that could lead toward a little bit of angst? And sometimes in meetings, uh, I will intentionally, I think it's mostly consciously, kind of dip my toe just in the other side of that line to bring out what people are actually um, feeling, thinking, but not saying. And so if there's enough trust on our executive staff, I do this all the time with with some really um, passionate people who (laughs) I have to give freedom to speak and I've got to approach that relational line where it could lead to conflict and just say, Holy Spirit, (laughs) I'm going to rely on you as I just kind of posit something that may not be spoken. I'm going to speak it and see how people respond. And the only way, oh, okay. The only way this works, and this is Christian for, for you, Jesus gives you the ability to say, I am sorry. My impact upon you was this. That was not necessarily my intent. Um, I disrespected you, and please forgive me. I, could, I was right, but I was right in the wrong way. And if you lose love, the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, everything else, you could have the greatest rational arguments for everything. If love and trust is lost, everything is lost. Adam, what are your thoughts, bud? Well, I think normalization is is something that you were kind of touching on that that goes a long way. And especially if you're in a team setting, uh, you're kind of, what you're doing is you're trying to connect the why for your team. And so- you know, I think being vocal about the fact that, hey, like in this meeting, in this time that we have together, we are purposely going to lovingly challenge each other. And when we do that, we are going to get all on the same page that we are not attacking personal identities, no matter what we're talking about, no matter how intense it gets. Because when we do this, we build trust. And when we build trust, we can go further together. So I think something that it can kind of be a, a a stumbling block is, is if that's not vocalized or if it's not normalized, then when it does happen naturally, because we're all humans, it's going to happen. That's when people start to make assumptions, start to form opinions about maybe even close friends that uh, are not, you know, positive or not beneficial for for the wider group. So Think norm, normalization is a big deal. That, that you that's so good. On. I got a follow up question for you in a second, Adam. But I'm thinking of a couple things right now. Um, and again, this is like you know, I'm talking about this from the perspective of like, oh, I'm I'm processing this for 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 me in my life. Um, but there's a proverb that says, "There's one who speaks rashly, like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing." And you know, a lot of the expression of my vocation, ministry, career is using words, communicating, speaking. But sometimes, you know, the enemy has a way of taking our greatest strengths and trying to get us off course to use yeah. them for damage. And another practical thing I'm working on in this season of my life is to become self-aware, more self-aware that if I am feeling anxious or angry, 
Don't send a text message. Don't comment on social media. Um, and don't keep engaging in a conflict until I'm at a place of peace. And um, because what happens is my emotion begins to access all this arsenal of arguments and, you know, logic that come out to just like destroy the other person, Un, you know, unintentionally, but mm. it happens. Um, so, God, I want to be one of those, you know, who doesn't speak rashly like thrusts of a sword. And Christians can do this. Christian, Christians can use mm-hmm. truth and speak truth in ways that are destructive. It's how we handle, like Paul exhorted Timothy, speak the truth, I think it's Timothy, speak the truth in love. If you're not rooted in a place of love, the truth you speak will be damaging. So Adam, here's my follow-up question for you, man. So you're a generation behind Tim and I. You're a recording artist, you know, phenomenally gifted singer, creative leader. Um, how do you see uh, your generation handling conflict? Yeah. Both in platonic wow. relationships, work relationships, uh, marriage relationships. How has your generation learned to handle conflict? And, and what, you know, are you learning? in this season about conflict? Well, that's just it. I think I can only speak to what, what I'm learning and, and my experience because um, yeah, it, it'd be tough for me to, to try to put a, put a tab on it, but I can do my best. Uh, yeah. I think, I think, and this is the thing I, I, I see this in myself as I, as I have, you know, the difficult conversations that I've walked through. But oftentimes when I, when I say something in the heat of the moment, looking back on those instances, I find that that's coming from a place of like protecting, trying to defend, uh, I mean, to put it in your, your categories, Tim, the identity piece. Mm. And, and the sad part about it for me is, is that I think that a lot of times it just becomes something that I'm trying to defend in terms of a reputation. Like if I'm speaking with a coworker or something and, and something went wrong, what I'll, what I'll do is like kind of subtly tweak my argument. So the, the blame like doesn't fall on them, but it doesn't like fall on me either. Hmm. And what I'm missing out on is, is one, the humility piece, uh, you know, even though sometimes in the moment I think I'm being humble, but the humility piece and the, the confessional piece, which then doesn't allow me to to build that trust with with whoever I'm mm. speaking to. But again, I think it really does come to, like from what I've seen and, you know, social media and my best kind of guess at, at, at how my generation handles it is like there's this this temptation or this kind of feeling like we need to to protect what we know what our stance is on something Mm. and that becomes the most important thing versus building or furthering a relationship with somebody that i'm talking to um and 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 i think there's a positive twist to it in the sense that i think my generation cares deeply about things so you can look at it that way um and a lot of times that can be used for good but because of that, sometimes I think there's just like these big walls that come up 
and we're going to set aside, you know, treating each other with respect or, or, uh, how people should be treated in order to defend something that I believe in, even if it's a righteous cause, that's the thing, like you were talking about Eric, but, um, and, and obviously like that can be even more damaging, even if what we are saying is true. So, um, I think, I mean, again, it's, that's a, it's a, it's a wide brush there, but, um, that's kind of what I've seen and learned. Good. Hey, Adam, you you keyed it on the foundational emotion and its identity. And the church, the more the church, like every single week, speaks to the identity being found in Christ, a child of God. I think a lot of times we we hear these things and we think it's like so passive and it really doesn't impact us. No, the more you parents, the more you leaders speak over your team, nothing you do or say defines who you are. You're right. My perception of you doesn't define who you are. Mm. Jesus is the one that gets to call the shots and he says, you're mine. And he has access over everything, the heavens above and the earth right here. And he holds you in the palm of his hand and he is not letting go. He is near to you. So the more leaders speak those words of identity. So as we enter into conflict, it's not about you as a person or even us as a team. It's about moving in this infinite game to reach as many people as possible with the gospel to offer our best for the sake of the lost, those who are walking in darkness, those who are being carried away to false identities of the world. So you are safe and secure. And leaders have to go, leaders have to go first. So I want you to know right now, so with the identity in Christ, that doesn't mean that a leader can say, okay, I can think really poorly about you and I'm going to have all these assumptions about who you are, your character. No, leaders have to tell their team. And I'm becoming, I think, better at this over time. I want to be Barnabas, the son of encouragement, right? Barnabas in Acts, he's like, they nailed him as the son. I just want to come into a room and say, I believe in you. I trust you. I see you. God has amazing things for you. I am grateful that you are on this team. That's it. That's an identity statement. And so out of that, everything, everything kind of, kind of changes Mm. there. Um, That's what I, and I think a lot of our, to Gen Z, I think a lot of, um, because my kids are right at the, the tail end of that generation. They just want to be seen and known and loved. The core base, do you believe in me, dad? You know? We've got to nail that or everything else is we're going to miss. Absolutely. Absolutely. Eric? Well, I was just thinking in the light of this conversation, uh, what was going through my head was, you know, uh, did Jesus get angry? And absolutely he did. Like, it's not wrong to get angry. What's destructive to connection and relationship and peace and creating community is when we uh, respond out of our anger in ways that tear down. And I was thinking of like yeah. the times Jesus got angry, like he got angry when religious traditions kept people bound in um, such heavy burdens that they couldn't lift them. How did he respond to his anger? He went and modeled love and connection and healing. He got mad when he saw the you know mm-hmm. money changers in the temple um, preventing Gentiles and other nations from coming in and accessing uh, 
you know, the ability to worship God and there was, you know, was injustice with how money was being, you know, changed and things to buy temple sacrifices as people would come from different lands with different forms of, you know, currency, things like that. But what's fascinating to me is like, you know, I used to see that story as Jesus, like, you know, flipping his lid, flying off the handle, you know, you know, and like, you know, Matt, but the, if you read the context of the story, he was grieved in his spirit. He was, he was most likely angry, although it doesn't exactly use that uh, Greek word for anger in that. But um, he then pauses. He doesn't react right away. He goes to the side. He carefully gets pieces of leather and he forms a whip. And then he goes into the temple and does this prophetic act of cleansing the temple, temple which, was a, which was a fulfillment of prophecy. And he responds to his anger, right. but he doesn't trigger and do it immediately. He makes a concerted decision mm. what he's going to do and then goes back in. And I think that's an instructional lesson for when we are angry. It's not a sin to be angry, as the scripture says. Be angry, but do not sin. When we're angry, pay attention to why we're angry. What's going on with these voices in our head? What happened? How did I feel after the offense and the identity conversation? Is this person accusing me of being something? And why do I care so much about how they think of me and feel about me if I know who I am? Then make a decision for how to respond. Wow. I've thought about Jesus's anger uh, a lot in that uh, that story the difference between jesus and and most of us is like you say we act out of our anger um some injustice has come jesus could at the very same time as being righteously disappointed <laughs> upset with the pharisees and even his disciples at the very same time maintain a posture of peace yeah. because he's a prince of peace which could lead him to make statements. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of, of man. Make statements that would, or with a woman at the well. You've got, you've had a lot of guys, you know, like you're not telling me the truth right now. He would make statements that would challenge. And we may say, like I was using the line, Jesus kind of, who are you to say that to me? You know, Jesus comes and he kind of steps across that, takes the risk, the relational risk to speak the truth. But since he's a prince of peace and uh, Jesus was filled with love and, and joy, I came that your joy may be full. There was something in the way he said it. Mm-hmm. And I believe his face that drew people near or at least led people to be curious. Okay, yeah, there, there's some blind spots for me. I, I, need, I need this. That is so instructional for us today. So how leader, in the midst of difficult conversations, you were talking about the yeah. heart rate, do we breathe and say peace and joy? Holy Spirit, I trust you. And as I bring this hard word, may it not be seen as me against them, yeah. but me for them, just as you, yes, Jesus, absolutely. are for, for me. You know, yeah. I, again, I keep, my mind keeps going to practical things as like, you know, this topic just hits, really hits home with me as, you know, it's like you start following Jesus, whatever age it is, maybe, you know, you're raised in the church, but I'm a firm believer that Jesus, our teacher, our savior, our king, is at work in us to will and to do for his good pleasure throughout the seasons of our life. Following Jesus isn't, you know, all right, I, I'm, you know, I have faith in Christ. I got confirmed. And now I'm just sitting around trying to be a generally nice guy until I die. 
like it does sound boring. <laughs> Sounds and boring. Jesus is wanting to instruct us, and you know, I've learned. I, I I've been as I have embraced counsel and mentoring. You know, the last ten years from you know men and women of God I respect. Realized like when I started, you know, pioneering like new reformation movements of the church, like I had a big chip on my shoulder about like everything that was wrong with everybody else and and I'm right. And, you know, I was just really immature a lot of times when I would deliver truth. I would deliver what I thought was truth in a way that just was destructive. And uh, I got into a conflict this week, Mm. um, back to the topic of keeping things practical. And I'm learning to pause when I recognize I'm being triggered in order to collect myself and come back with curiosity uh, to the person who offended me. So I was in this gathering um, at uh, Arizona State University of University Leaders. I was asked to speak to them and I've been doing some training there the the last couple of years. And uh, I felt strongly that uh, it would be good at the end of the year for us to take communion together. And it was a diversity of ministries represented. So I went into the kitchen to find some things to remember Jesus with. You know, we didn't have the unleavened bread or whatever the proper uh, uh, grain, uh, whatever denomination says should be used. So uh, they had pancakes in there. And I said, oh, that'll work. Let's use use pancakes. And a person who was organizing the event um, got really offended and started saying things that, appeared to be attacking me. Like, Eric, stop, stop disrupting the ship. Go with the flow. No, we are not taking communion today. It's a divisive issue. And I was like, whoa, 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 what is happening here? And I, you know, Hmm. looked at her and I said, how did partaking of the body and blood of Christ become a divisive issue? It's supposed to be a unifying issue. And, And then I'm like, wait, I'm getting triggered. She started, you know, just verbally just kind of vomiting on me. And I said, okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. Can we, can we just take a pause here? I, I don't want to argue with you. I, I, I'm seeing some things going on in you that this is bothering you. Let's just take a break. We, we don't have to take communion. Mm-hmm. We can talk about it later. So after the meeting, and I was offended. I was like, in my head, I'm like, forget these people. I'm out of here. I'm not ever coming back here. I, you know, all this stuff's going, who does she think I am? The, the, all these conversations, what happened? How did I feel? I felt offended. I felt disrespected. I'm like, I'm the invited guest. You gave me authority and permission to share my heart. And now you're controlling me and telling me what not to do. Um, who, who am I? Who do you view me to be? And then after the, the gathering, I went up to her and this is a precious woman of God who I love dearly. But I was about, I was on the edge of saying something to her that could have destroyed our relationship. So I went up to her afterwards and I said, Hey, Listen, I was surprised by the intensity of your response to me around taking communion. Um, I'm curious and want to listen to you. What was going on in you when you responded that way? And I just created like a safe place for her to share her heart. And she started crying. And she explained times Mm. other people have, you know, sinned and not taking the body and blood of Christ in honorable ways. She thought I was going to do the same thing. And anyway, we just had a conversation where at least each of us feel felt heard and listened to. We didn't even come to agreement, but it protected the relationship and we hugged and 
you know, it was, you know, a peaceful resolution to what could have been an an increasingly intense disruption. Wow. Well, I think I need to have a difficult conversation about how I can't believe you were going to celebrate the Lord's Supper with those people. (laughs) I can't believe. No, I'm just joking. Uh, Jesus loves you. And uh, I love your heart, bro, and your your honesty. Um, a lot of times we assume we know the intentions about other people. I think to divides in our church body between confessional and missional people who very rarely interact with one another. Yeah. We live often yeah. in our small bro. little echo chambers. Yeah. And uh, that's yes. one of the reasons why we're setting up American Reformation. Bro, we want to break Sunday, down those I, echo chambers. I, I, I came ahead, to worship with Christ Greenfield um, and... Man, it was so meaningful for me to be welcomed in to more of a, a, I mean, it was the contemporary service, but to be welcomed into, you know, you know, a, a, yeah. a, a denomination with godly heritage of liturgy and tradition and to sit there with my, you know, a guy that works down the hall from me, you know, and to have him serve me the, you know, the body of Christ and, you know, take the wine from, you know, Jeff, mm. it, it just... Yeah, it was, it's just really cool. Like I don't ever take communion that way. And it was like really cool to be seated at the table of the Lord together with brothers and sisters in Christ from a different tradition, realize, man, we are on the same team. And I love, I love this community. That's right. I love you, buddy. Honored to be your friend and you're welcome all the time. Whenever the Lord leads you, Adam, any closing comments? So about difficult conversations, what are you taking away? Yeah, it's all about unity. Um, I actually have a, a quick question for you guys. And uh, Eric, as you're, as you're speaking and uh, kind of talking about how the your 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 spiritedness in you uh, of just kind of like getting getting riled up when when there's conflict around you. And I know Tim, like you're you're a very awesome, bold man as well. And my question is for me, like in your situation, Eric, if someone would have just started like yelling at me, I would have just like totally folded and like, okay, all right, all right. And probably never would have like even addressed it ever again the rest of the day because I'm just like so bent towards like Uh harmony and like no disruptions uh, to a fault, to a fault. And so my question is like, what advice would you give on the other side of the spectrum sometimes of like, you know, opposite from like having to calm yourself before you speak, but for someone like me who mm-hmm. veers towards uh-huh. passivity, if you will, of, of how I could lean yeah. in better yeah. into difficult oh, that's, conversations. That's a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll share first, Tim, but, um, you know, there's a great uh, book called How We Love. And the premise of the book is that your latest argument or conflict didn't start today. It started before you ever got married or it started in your childhood. And how you respond to intense Mm. situations are often imprinted in um, your early childhood experiences. So what you're describing to me about passivity would be um, uh, called an avoider attachment style where somehow in your family of origin or your childhood experiences, it's likely, I don't know, but that at least part of your way of responding to um, danger or intensity is to be passive and avoid it. 
so it'll go away. Um, and I'm no expert. I'm not a therapist and I'm not diagnosing or giving advice. I'm just saying, um, how we respond to conflict, um, is usually, um, imprinted in us at an early age. Like my, my tendency is to, uh, I respond a couple ways in unhealthy ways to conflict. Number one, try to please people to get them to to think I'm amazing so they won't keep attacking me. And and, and number two, when I get triggered, I start fighting. So I'm I'm not a freeze or a, a flight person. I'm a fighter. So like someone, Flee. you know, attacks my identity. And it's not just anybody. It's not like if a stranger came up to me on the street and, and said some stupid thing, I'd be like, you're crazy. But if someone in my life who I have a, a more intimate relationship with start, I, I start thinking they're attacking my identity, I start feeling unsafe and and I'm like, I got to convince them that they're wrong so they'll see me accurately. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's just the mud has hit the fan. <laughs> I was trying to think of a polite way to say it. So anyway, it just really helps us as followers of Jesus to continue yeah. to look at the ways that we have conflict and continue to grow as people to do our part um, to be to create yeah. safe atmospheres for healing and resolution in the midst of conflict. Yeah. So good, Eric. My one thing to add, Adam, would be your identity is shaped by your values and words are very powerful and the words that you believe about yourself have great, great power. So you could say, and this is just a lot of just your internal identity monologue. I used to be a person that froze or ran away from conflict. When I see it now, I'm a person that lovingly engages it with curiosity. Mm. So this is this is an identity statement. This is a huge value. You could put it in your own words, um, but but I'm going to lean in and knowing who you are, Adam. Let me knowing how kind and warm, hospitable you are. Your line in moving is going to be different than my and Eric's line. Like people perceive us a certain way, so they're going to expect us to get to that place and then speak a little bit more bold. Your your step right now is just going to be, hey, when I when I said that to you, I just felt like something was off. Mm. Am I right? Am I right there? If yeah. so, how? And you just kind of create the space. So to just when the Holy Spirit puts that thing in your head, you just politely start to say it with with humility. And you're always going to have peace and humility and love and kindness. That's who you. That's who you are. So you take that relational risk, and then that kind of line to say, oh, that wasn't too bad. I can even speak more frankly. Uh, to use paradox theory, you're never going to struggle with, and I think this is for a lot of people, diplomacy, people pleasing, wanting everybody to be like a, a, the natural human response, especially in this polarized day and age, is just kind of pull back into diplomacy. Let's just make sure everybody. So I'm the type of person, this is a value statement maybe for you, I'm the type of person that starts to lean into more frank conversations than make me at least right now comfortable. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm diplomatic for sure, but I'm going to embrace more frank conversation. So I hope that's, I hope that's yeah. helpful. Um, Adam, I love you. And this will not be the last time you're on with us. Uh, Eric, thanks for joining us. Even it despite was. the technical difficulties, this was a fun conversation. 
and pick up the book, Difficult Conversations. If you'd like more from us, uh, just you know, throw a comment out on YouTube and uh, we'll give you, I've got a whole bunch of uh, uh, notes and presentations that I could share for group conversation um, to go deeper with those difficult conversations for you, uh, a leader. Thanks for joining us today on the American Reformation podcast. It's a good day. Going to make it a great day. Adam, Eric, love you. Peace the Lord go with you guys. This is out. Later. Later.